G'day, my name is Jeff. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you so much for your mercy to us in the Lord Jesus Christ. Please help us now as we think about your word and what it is that you want for our lives to live our lives in a way that is pleasing to you. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. I recently heard an interview with Dr. Mark Thompson. He's the principal of Moore Theological College. Uh, last year, Mark went on a trip to the United States and the United Kingdom to check out current trends in theological, theological education. Uh, Mark said that he came back feeling very concerned. He said, there's a worrying trend. Apparently, less and less people are putting themselves forward to train for Christian ministry. It's a trend in, in the US and also in the UK. And it's also here in Sydney. When I personally trained at Moore College back in the 1990s, there were around 80 people in my year. This year, in first year Moore College, there were 36 people. So there's certainly a significant drop. Now, people are now talking about a so-called minister drought. Apparently, there's a big shortage of ministers in the Sydney Anglican Diocese. And the Presbyterian Church is facing a similar situation. Numerous ministers have given up ministry in the last few years. They've just found it to be too stressful to manage, and so they've given up. Uh, there aren't very many people training at uh, Christ College. Over the next few years, we are expecting that several ministers will retire. You put it all together and... We estimate that in five years' time, around about 20% of our churches will be vacant. So one church in five won't be able to find a minister. It's not just ministers, though. It's across the board in terms of gospel ministry. It's getting harder to find people to teach scripture in schools. It's getting harder to find chaplains for, for hospitals or, or prisons or the armed forces. It's getting harder and harder to find people who put up their hands to serve the Lord Jesus. In the, in the interview with uh, Dr. Thompson, he, he said that there could be a, a number of reasons why people don't want to train for ministry at the moment. But he reckons that one big, factor, uh, one big factor is culture. Western culture has changed heaps in the last couple of decades. Culture has turned very much against Christians and Christianity. It's no longer a case of our culture holding to and, and agreeing with many Christian values. It's not even a case anymore of people saying it's, it's fine to believe whatever you want. Uh, we're now at the point where people perceive Christians as immoral, intolerant haters who need to be silenced from the public realm. Uh, culture has also turned very much against Christian ministers. You never ever hear in the media about some minister who has 
faithfully preached the gospel and taught God's word and loved his congregation for decades. That is a story you'll never hear in the media, that the only time you ever hear about ministers is if they're opposing homosexuals or abusing women and children. To be a minister, it's, it's certainly not considered a prestigious occupation in Western culture anymore. Uh, ministers are now were treated with suspicion and, and disdain. Now, I, I have to say, I, I, I heard the interview and, and, and I wasn't all that concerned. I mean, if someone was choosing to be a minister because it's prestigious, I'm glad they're not going into ministry. And really, if, uh, if the Anglican Church of Sydney or the Presbyterian Church of New South Wales fail for lack of ministers, I mean, so what? In one sense, God was doing his thing before they existed and he'll keep on doing his thing. God will do his work in some other place. I, I wasn't feeling all that concerned. Until I heard another interview. Uh, it was an interview with Philip Jensen. Because Philip reckons that this situation, this minister drought, is a symptom of a deeper problem. He says the situation may reveal that we're not preaching the gospel properly. Let me quote from him. Raising up workers for the gospel is the fruit of faithful gospel ministry. If I don't see that the greatest thing in my life is being saved by the Lord Jesus Christ, I won't get the vision for saving other people. But if God's grace to me has been so wonderful to rescue me out of my sinfulness and to rescue me out of the judgment that is rightly due to me and to know that by hearing the word of God, that person may be saved as well, how could I not speak to them about salvation and about Jesus? How can I not long for them to come to know Christ and to know the salvation that he has won for us? If I love the Lord Jesus Christ as the Saviour and Lord of heaven and earth, how can I be content with Australians ignoring him or spurning him? I can't. I must contend for the Lord Jesus Christ. I must contend for other people's salvation. If I'm not willing to do that, if that doesn't burden me in some way, then... Do I really believe that Jesus is the Lord and Saviour? Do I really believe that his death has paid for my sin? Philip concludes by saying this. If an organisation is not recruiting people into gospel ministry, I suspect that there is a prima facie case that they're not clearly and consistently articulating the gospel. What Philip says here is true, it is very serious. And if it's true for us at Chester Presbyterian Church, if we're not understanding the gospel clearly, if that's why we're not giving up our day jobs and, and getting involved in gospel ministry full-time, well then, well then I'm profoundly failing you. So I want to spend just a short while with you today thinking about this topic. Should you give up your day job? Should you... Stop what you're doing and take up some kind of gospel ministry instead. Well, as you can see from your outline, I have four points. Uh, point number one, what does Jesus require of me? Point two, 
working for the Lord and the work of the Lord. Point three, the question to ask. And point four, a way forward. So the four points, let's think about each one in turn. Point number one, what does Jesus require of me? What does Jesus want me to do with my life? The first thing to say is this. If you're a Christian, you belong to Jesus. He he owns you. On your outline there, can you see a verse from Galatians? Have a look with me. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Have a look look at the uh, the next verse from Romans on your outline there and ask yourself, what what is Jesus requiring of you? In, In view of the mercy of God, what should you be offering to Jesus, to the Jesus who died and rose again to give you eternal life? Romans 12, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. One last verse, this time from 1 Corinthians. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. What does Jesus require of you? Everything. Not just your day job. Jesus deserves and demands that you offer your your whole life to him. Your work life and also your family life and also your leisure and everything else. That means uh, when you work, as we saw in, in Ephesians, you should work for Jesus. It means that when you conduct your family life, it should be about bringing up the members of your family in Christ. Uh, God, God's, God's great plan that has been revealed to us in the gospel, as we saw again in Ephesians, is to unite everything under the Lord Jesus Christ. And the goal of our lives should be to fall in line with the plan. Can you see the the question, should I give up my day job to do ministry? It's actually too small a question. What Jesus requires is that we live our whole lives for him. All of our life should be ministry. Ministry in the sense that in all of our life, we should be working for the Lord Jesus. That brings us to point number two. Point two, working for the Lord and the work of the Lord. There's a real danger with telling people they should give up their job and go into ministry. And and that's to make the mistake that people in ministry are somehow superior beings, somehow more holy or or closer to God or something like that. It's actually a very ancient heresy, and, and it's based not on the Bible, but on a Christianized form of ancient Greek philosophy. Let me let me give you just a simplified potted version. In ancient Greek philosophy, in that thinking, there is a a physical realm and there is a spiritual realm. And in ancient Greek philosophical thinking, the spiritual realm is is good, the physical realm is bad. Our goal as people should be to to discard the physical and to enter, or actually to re-enter, to re-enter the spiritual realm. And so, 
people who deny themselves physical things and, and focus on spiritual stuff like, like philosophy or in a Christianized version of theology, they're considered to be superior. And so that's why priests and nuns and monks, they're supposed to take vows of poverty and chastity and, and obedience. They're supposed to deny themselves the physical stuff of this world and, and devote themselves to, to the spiritual realm. In medieval times, it led to a belief that there are two classes of Christian. You've got your ordinary Christian and you've got your religious Christians. And the idea was that the, the, the religious people were superior. They were, they were closer to God. Now, th this is a heresy that was rightly corrected in the Protestant Reformation. As the early Protestants rediscovered the gospel, they realized that priests and nuns and monks, they, they are no more holy than anyone else. As the Protestants rediscovered the gospel, they recognized that there's only one class of Christian, and that is a sinner saved by Jesus. And, and the sinner saved by Jesus who works as a farmer is no less holy than the sinner saved by Jesus who works as a priest. We need to be perfectly clear on this, friends. Your status before God is found in Jesus, not in what you do. There are no second-class Christians. You can work as a, a garbage man or a lawyer or a, a minister or a monk. It, it, it makes no difference to your status before God. Your status before God is found in Jesus, not in what you do. But the fact remains, in this world, there is only one way of salvation. As Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Or as the Apostle Peter said, there is no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. Or as the Apostle Paul said, it is the gospel that is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. The only way to avoid hell and go to heaven is to rely on Jesus and his death and resurrection. And that means there's a difference between working for the Lord and the work of the Lord. And when I say the work of the Lord, I'm referring to uh, 1 Corinthians, where the Apostle Paul uh, talks about the work of the Lord. I've, I've put it on your outline. He says, um, always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. There's a distinction between working for the Lord and the work of the Lord. Philip Jensen puts it like this. We've not understood the difference between working for the Lord and doing the work of the Lord. We all have to work for the Lord in any job that we do. The way we do our work is really important. We should work as Christian people, as unto the Lord. That's what every Christian can and should be doing. But that is not the work of the Lord. The work of the Lord is preaching the gospel and planting new churches and seeing people built up for eternal life. That's a different kind of work altogether. Working for the Lord is wonderful and important. But working for the Lord won't save people from hell into heaven. It's only the work of the Lord that will save people from hell into heaven. 
That's what Jesus Christ came into the world to do. And that's what Jesus sends his people into the world to do. Jesus came into this world as a carpenter. But Jesus gave up being a carpenter to die on the cross, to preach the kingdom of God. He called the fishermen to stop fishing and fish for men. He called the tax collector to leave his office in order to do the work of the Lord. That's a different thing. And to confuse those two is quite contrary to what the Bible is teaching. Do you see the distinction? If you work as an engineer building bridges, good on you. That's great. And you should work as if you are working for Jesus. Do a good job. Work with integrity. Build a bridge that people will thank God for. Work for the Lord. But your bridge won't get anyone into heaven. It's ultimately, if you remember all the way back to our series on Ecclesiastes, it's ultimately Havel. It's, it's temporary, transitory. It won't last. There's only one thing that will last, the only thing that will last, the only thing that's not in vain in the sense of 1 Corinthians 15, the only thing that, that will last eternally is helping people to trust Jesus. That is the work of the Lord. And so there's something especially important, especially valuable about this work of the Lord. It brings us to point number three. Point three. Point three, the question to ask. The question we need to ask ourselves is this. How can I best give my life in the service of Jesus? How can I best give my life to further the work of the Lord? Now, as we answer that question for ourselves, we need to take, we need to take a couple of things into account. Uh, we need to take into account, first of all, ourselves, uh, who we are. Uh, if we're considering a role of public ministry, we need to look at the biblical requirements. Um, our our convictions and our character and our competence. That's what we see in passages like 1 Timothy chapter 3, Titus chapter 1, 1 Peter chapter 5. You need uh, right convictions. You need to believe the right things about Jesus. Uh, you need to have right character um, within your personal life and your family life and, and your reputation with outsiders. And, uh, and you also need to have right competence. That is, you need to be able to um, teach the gospel and refute false teaching. You need to be able to pastor and care for people. You need to be able to evangelise. Now, maybe for you, because of the way that God has made you, you would be better off staying in your day job. Do a good job. Commend the gospel in your workplace. Disciple your family. Serve faithfully in your church. Support full-time gospel workers with your prayers and with your money. Now, maybe for you, with the person God has made you to be, that is the best way that you can give your life in the service of Jesus. I don't think everyone should be a Presbyterian minister. In fact, just between you and me, I reckon there are Presbyterian ministers who shouldn't be Presbyterian ministers. We need to think carefully about who God has made us to be and on that basis, 
how we can best serve him. We also need to take into account the circumstances in which God has placed us. We need to think about our situation and our responsibilities. If, for example, you're supporting 12 young children on one wage, you probably are not going to be wise to give up your job and head off to Bible college while they starve. So we need to ask ourselves the question, based on who we are now, in the circumstances that we're in, how can I... With, with who I am, in the circumstances I now find myself in, how can I best give my life in the service of Jesus? And it may well be that it's best for you with the person God made you to be in the circumstances God has placed you in to stay in your day job. But maybe for you you should be seriously thinking about giving up some or all of your work to spend time focusing more on doing the work of the Lord. Maybe you should think about giving up your day job. Let me, let me give you a few scenarios. Maybe you're young. School or uni or new in work. You're, you're single or... You're married without kids, you don't have a whole heap of people relying on you, and you have the convictions, character and competence to do some kind of ministry. Well, why not consider doing theological training? Maybe with a view to working part-time and doing some kind of ministry part-time, or maybe for you, you should seriously be considering some kind of full-time ministry. Maybe that is, for you, the best way that you can give your life in the service of Jesus. It won't be easy. It won't be prestigious. You won't, you won't make a lot of money. But, but, but where does Jesus tell us those are the things to want in life? Nowhere that I can see. As I said a few weeks ago, I hope as the parents of Chatswood Presbyterian Church that we will be very encouraging and supportive of our children in this. I know a bloke who used to work on campus at Sydney University, Ken Simpson is his name. Ken was a Christian worker in the medical faculty. In the course of his ministry, Ken met many godly, competent young people who were studying medicine. As he talked to them and, and they talked things through, he realised that they weren't studying medicine because of any godly priorities. They weren't thinking, is this the best way I can serve the Lord Jesus? They were doing it well, because of the money and the prestige and because of family expectations. And, and he challenged them. He challenged them to consider giving up medicine and go and do theological training with a view to doing full-time ministry instead. And a number of people took his advice. A number of people did just that. One time I was talking to Ken and he was telling me about all sorts of terrible letters and phone calls he was getting, all kinds of abuse and even threats. Where do you reckon it was coming from? 
the, the, the local atheists, the, the homosexual lobby? Nope. It was from parents, mostly Asian parents, who were angry that he was challenging their children to consider giving up medicine. I hope it won't be us, friends. The Bible is clear about it. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1. Church leadership is a noble task. It's, it's a good work. Even if our culture disagrees, we ought to believe it. Even if our migrant parents disagree, we ought to believe it. And we ought to encourage and support those of our children who are suited for it to devote their lives to gospel ministry. All right, well, here's another scenario. Here's another scenario. Uh, you've been at home with young children for a few years. Your husband brings home plenty of money. You don't need to, to, to work. But as the kids are growing up and getting older and heading off to school, well, you'd love to do something to, to challenge yourself, to stretch yourself. You'd like to do something other than just be at home. You'd like to use your skills, not just in the godly discipling of your children, as vitally important as that is, but you'd like to use your skills in some other broader way. You could go back to work. But is that the best thing to do? Is that the best way you can give your life in the service of Jesus? Or would you be better off doing some theological training? Maybe part-time Bible college for a couple of years. And then use your time to serve Jesus. Not just as a mum, but, but, but more broadly. The other day, the other day Carmelina was, uh, my wife Carmelina was visiting her mum at the nursing home. And she ran into a lady who used to come to our church. Carmelina said to her, well, what are you doing here? And she found out that this lady has done some theological training and is now running a Bible study in the nursing home. Carmelina was absolutely thrilled and immediately she signed her mum up and enrolled her into the Bible study. There are a number of women in our church who've done this kind of thing. As the kids have grown, they've taken the opportunity to, to do some training and they're now not doing paid work. They didn't go back into the workforce or, or maybe they're, they're, they're working part-time and then they're investing significant time serving Jesus, investing significant time doing the work of the Lord uh, in our Easy English ministry, in meeting one-to-one -one with people to read the Bible, in uh, leading Connect Women Bible study, in uh, teaching scripture in our local schools, in pastoral visitation, caring for the elderly, all kinds of ministry. Ladies, there is plenty of good stuff to do. Plenty of stuff that will last forever. It's worth considering. Or as I said a few weeks ago, here's another scenario. Uh, you're a bloke in your 40s or 50s. You've had a successful career. You, you've got plenty of money. 
and you have the right convictions, character and competence to be, to be say, a pastor teacher. Brother, maybe you should think about giving up your day job. Go to Bible college and then spend the last 10, 20 years of your life serving in full-time gospel ministry. Again, it, it might not be easy, but where does Jesus say that following him should be easy? It won't be easy. But what a precious and eternally valuable use of the rest of your life that could be. Yeah, plenty of possible scenarios. But, but can you see the question we need to ask? How can I, with who I am, the person God has made me to be, in the circumstances that I'm in, the situation that God has put me in, how can I best give my life in the service of Jesus? Okay, here's the final point. Point four, a way forward. What should we do now? What should we do today? What's the way forward as we give consideration to these kinds of things? Apostle Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians, he's been talking about uh, the body of Christ, how we all have our part to play. He's been talking about the gifts that the Holy Spirit gives us, how we're all gifted in different ways. But, but then he goes on to say, he says in chapter 13, I want to tell you that the best way. And then he summarizes it in chapter 14 and verse 1. And he says this, I've put it on your outline. He says, he says, follow the way of love. Follow the way of love. What does that mean? I'll tell you what it means. It means, it means look around. Look around and see what needs doing. Is there someone who would benefit from you taking out time to talk to them about Jesus? Are there needs in children's ministry or, or, or youth ministry? Is there, is there a position on the school board that could benefit from having you serve? D does your local school need a scripture teacher? Could, could, you, could you start a Bible study in your workplace? Uh, would, would some mums from your mother's group read the Bible with you if you asked them? Do you get the idea? Look around, see the needs, and then... And then have a go. Have a go. Try it. Do it. If you don't feel equipped to do it, if you don't feel well enough um, trained to do it, well, get equipped. Get some training. Seek training. But, but, but the point is this. Don't wait. Don't wait for some magic call from God. Don't wait for, for anybody to come and ask you. Just get in and start serving. And if it becomes clear that as you get in and start serving, if it becomes clear that you need more training think about it. If it becomes clear that you're actually very gifted at doing this, think about it. Cross those bridges when you come to them. Friends, should you give up your day job? Maybe. Maybe not. But either way, can you see the bigger issue? Jesus wants your whole life. So, so let's live our lives in service to him. Let's pray. A gracious God and loving Heavenly Father, we thank you that in the good news about Jesus, 
we know your power to save those who believe. We thank you, Heavenly Father, that you've left us in this world, uh, not just to do nothing, but to declare the praises of the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, to do the work of the Lord that is not in vain. So will you help us, please, to, to think hard about how in our lives, with who we are and the circumstances that we're in, we can best serve the Lord Jesus Christ. And then give us strength and courage to do this, even if it costs. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.